In reading, um, my name is Abby Odio. Welcome to Bethany Community Church. It's really good to be with you today. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We're glad to have you as well. We are now in the second week of Advent, and if you were in worship last weekend, you know that uh, we had uh, artist and guest speaker Scott Erickson with us. And one of the things uh, Scott said that has really stayed with me throughout the week is this idea that Christmas is not something that happened 2,000 years ago, but it's something that happens still. He said the good news isn't a stagnant idea that we just believe, but really an invitation to participate in the good news reality of what a God who still enters into our story. Uh, Today, as we study Zachariah's story, our theme is this idea of becoming aware becoming aware. And part of what Zachariah's story invites us to do is to see with renewed vision, not if God is breaking into our personal story, but rather to grow in our awareness of how that is happening. Christmas at its core is really, you could say, all about seeing. Uh, The shepherds leave their flocks to go and see this, this baby that the angel had told them about. The wise men embark on a long journey that eventually leads them to Jesus because they see a star up in the sky. And we uh, have two young kids, and this time of year we uh, play this game. It actually starts in Halloween, like kind of during Halloween, where we, as we're driving, we look out our windows and try to spot holiday decor. Um, It's a very easy game. You simply look out your window. If you see a festive decoration, you name it. And we were doing this recently. There's only two rules to the game. uh, And they are kind of the two rules that apply to everything we do as a family, no screaming and no hitting. So we're driving in the car. We're playing this game earlier this week. And we're going through a particularly festive neighborhood. And my older son said from the back seat, mom, I need you to slow down. I can't see what things are. It's all just Christmas blurry color out there. Christmas blurry color. Now, I tell that story because I also wasn't driving that fast, just to be clear. But uh, I tell that story because I think it's a helpful illustration as we think about what it means to move from observers to participants this Advent. See, often we experience Advent in a kind of Christmas colorful blur. For some of us, the blur is kind of classic Christmas busyness hosting things, baking things, attending things, and that can all be really fun and good. For others of us right now, the blur is simply the news that's coming at us so fast, this blur of trying to make plans, but we're hearing about variants emerging with the virus, and we're reminded we're not in control. Still, for others of us, the blur could be just a deep feeling of loneliness or working through something hard relationally with with family members or a friend or walking through an addiction recovery and the holiday cheer is sort of just background noise to all that. Like we don't really have much attention to give it. However, your first week of Advent has landed. I want to suggest this. God is breaking in to your story. Not as an idea, not as a theology, not as a concept. As a human, he is breaking into the blurry moment that you're living. And our calling is not to try and manufacture that moment. The heart of Advent is that God finds us, but our calling is to become increasingly aware, to see, and Zachariah's story serves as this hugely helpful guide for what that journey of seeing could look like for us. 
So as we study this story today, we'll kind of zoom in and I want us to consider this progression that we see, a relatable progression, I would say, in the person of Zechariah. First, he sees and assumes. Then he sees and wonders. And then finally, he sees and he perceives. So that's where we're going to go today. And I'd love to just say a prayer for us as we do that. Jesus, uh, we thank you for the truth that we are indeed participants, that um, you are here and we speak those words. And even as we speak them, we name that it's difficult sometimes to, to see that reality in the day-to-day, that it can feel more like a blur than it can feel fulfilling and clear how you're intervening and inviting us. God, I pray that through these words, through this story, um, they would become living in us, that they would encourage us and inspire us to have vision for you in our lives so that we might become people who look like you in the way we live. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So let's begin where Zechariah begins, which uh, is when the angel appears to him and Zechariah responds, he responds with an assumption. The messenger from God lands smack in Zechariah's world and he sees that and he assumes The angel says, you will have a baby and this child will be special. He will bring you joy. He will be a gift to the world. He will prepare the way for the the savior of all humankind. And Zechariah responds this way. He says, for I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. See, in that moment of God's interruption, instead of welcoming that, instead of seeing it for what it is right away, Zachariah makes some very quick and understandable assumptions, right? Biologically, older women do not give birth. Zachariah says they were getting on in 80 years. There's speculation Elizabeth was actually in her 80s. That's, that's pretty old <laughs> to give birth. <laughs> Conventionally, couples in their 80s don't parent newborns, at least not typically, And these are not just uh, the obvious, these are the obvious assumptions, but there are deeper assumptions at work here as well. It's interesting, the text tells us Zechariah was a priest. He lived in the hill country outside Jerusalem. He was one of about 18,000 priests that would serve. And for two weeks out of the year, his division of priests, they'd be called, they'd be on duty, they'd go to the temple. And on Saturdays, all the people of Israel would gather outside the temple walls to pray and the priests would enter into the temple and make an incense offering, which was symbolic of the people's prayers actually rising to God. And while on duty on this particular day, Zechariah is chosen to be the one who enters the sanctuary to make this incense offering. And while this man was part of, this was part of Israel's life with God, it's relevant to name that at this moment when this story takes place, Israel had not heard from God in some 400 years. The nation of Israel, which always had kings and priests and prophets connecting them to God, has now experienced four centuries of silence. This means 400 years of sort of weary and calloused hope. And I name all that because as we arrive at this particular moment in Zechariah's story, he carries not just common sense assumptions about who can and who cannot give birth, He also carries assumptions about God's silence. Even as he's chosen to enter the temple, the very house of God, it's safe to bet he is assuming today will be a lot like yesterday. Same religious routines, same outcome, same life, same silence on God's part. 
And then the story takes a wild turn. An angel appears and interrupts those assumptions, finds and surprises Zachariah right in the midst of them. This week we did some of the Christmas things that a lot of us are doing this time of year. And um, we got a tree, we decorated it, we put out our little nativity set and the books and everything. And it was fine and our kids were thrilled. But as we did this, uh, I was feeling a bit cynical about the whole sort of Christmas spirit. I was getting, you know, news updates on my phone about a tragic school shooting, right? Four lives lost. And as I sat there drinking hot chocolate, outwardly I'm smiling, but inwardly I'm weary and skeptical. Inwardly I'm aware of this creeping assumption that in the world's hardness and heaviness and grief, silence is winning. That's the assumption. And hear me, the problem is not the heaviness. The problem is not hard news that moves us to feel, you know, the heaviness of lament. Those are necessary and holy responses to tragedy. However, what Zachariah's story nudges us to do is to loosen our grip on certain assumptions that have become the lens through which we interpret the world. In a way, you could say the entire Christmas story is a story of God meeting folks and gracefully transforming and surprising them in their assumptions. Assumptions like you should be more than you are now to be pleasing to God. Assumptions like you're all alone. Assumptions like new life does not flourish in barren places. Assumptions like people forgotten or oppressed by society do not function as divine messengers. Assumptions like God is silent. Assumptions like I've been forgotten in God's plan and there's not enough room for me. Do any of these resonate with you? There's a great Latin phrase um, that was popularized by uh, the friar and philosopher Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century. And the phrase translates like this, whatever is received is received according to the manner of the receiver. In other words, we don't always see things the way they actually are. We see things the way we are. You could say we see the world through our assumptions. And part of our journey of this Advent is holding before us the possibility that in the midst of these very assumptions, God might like to surprise you. Not to take away a particular lens and replace it with rose-colored glasses, that's irresponsible, but rather to say, what if in the very place we find ourselves right now, we can assume something other than silence or aloneness? or fear, or more than more of the same going through the motions. What if that could be our story this Christmas? Well, how do we do that? That leads us to the second observation around Zachariah's story, which is this. Zachariah sees and he wonders. He sees and he wonders. When the angel announces that his wife Elizabeth will have a son, he responds, how will I know this is so? Last week, we looked at Mary's story, and um, Mary asks a similar question when the angel appears to her. She says, how will this be? And this wonder or this questioning, it isn't limited to the birth narrative. In fact, if we fast forward to the New Testament, to Jesus's ministry, we find this dynamic of question asking continues. Often when people would encounter Jesus, their assumptions would be shaken up and they would follow it up with wonder. For instance, Matthew chapter eight, Jesus calms the storm. He's on the boat with the disciples. Many of us remember this part of the story. And after that happens, they say in amazement, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? It's a wondering. Again, in Matthew chapter 21, this time it's the crowd that asks the question. Jesus is returning to the temple and he's causing quite a stir. And we read when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, 
Who is this? Now, I think there's a temptation to read these questions and jump quickly to judgment. Oh yeah, Zechariah, you know, he didn't have enough faith and the disciples, they were never getting it. And the crowds, they were just always sort of fickle and confused. And sure, that's all fair. But in the same breath, these questions actually indicate that Zechariah and the disciples and the crowds, they were doing something so important. They were paying attention. They're wondering in such a way that invites their assumptions to be shaken up. It's a holy wondering because it eventually leads them to see differently. And for us, an important doorway to seeing with renewed vision is similarly paying attention and responding with wonder. Wonder that shakes up our long-held assumptions. I mentioned this week that we decorated for Christmas and my younger son, Fritz, he's turning two this week. And it's really the first year that he's kind of been conscious of like Christmas as a concept. And I would say the highlight for him has really been, for some reason, the Christmas tree. Uh, He, on the day we put it up, he just kept staring at it. He was mesmerized. He would look at it for a bit, like he was just going to reach out and hug it. And um, he kept turning around and saying to us, is it a Christmas tree? Is it a Christmas tree? And over and over, we'd respond, it's a Christmas tree. Yep, buddy, it's a Christmas tree. The next morning uh, when he woke up, I went and got him out of his crib and it was still dark in our house. And you could just see the tree there lit up. And um, he asked the question again, is it a Christmas tree? Said, yes, buddy, it's still a Christmas tree. Monday through Friday, he asked that question every single morning. It wasn't until yesterday I got him out of his crib. He walked out of the room and praised God. He said, it's a Christmas tree. (laughs) What he lacks in uh, quickness, he makes up for in, with enthusiasm. So that's a, a good sign. But I tell this story because this time of year, we talk a lot about that word wonder. It's a really important word. But more than being a word that markets well, it's actually a spiritual discipline. Paying attention, present to the moment before us, asking a question. And kids are often so good at this because for better or worse, they carry few assumptions, fewer assumptions about the world less shame around asking the question over and over and over. The poet and theologian John O'Donohue gets at this connection between question and wonder so beautifully. He writes this, he says, one of the most exciting and energetic forms of human thought is a question. I always think that a question is like a lantern. It illuminates new landscapes and new areas as it moves. Therefore, the question always assumes that there are many different dimensions to a thought that you are either blind to or that are not available to you. So a question is really one of the forms in which wonder expresses itself. One of the reasons that we wonder is because we are limited, and that limitation is one of the greatest gateways to wonder. In other words, the good news of Advent is that the assumptions we carry, well understandable, are not the full picture. There is more in each of our stories and the collective story of our existence together that God wants to shed light on, to show us. The Apostle Paul would say it this way in his letter to the Corinthians, we see in part and we know in part, and one day we will know fully. But the bridge between here and there, it's paying attention. It's wondering. It's interesting, the angel answers Zachariah's question by taking away his ability to speak for a few months um, leading up to the birth of their baby. And it's easy to read that part of the story and assume the angel is just sort of arbitrarily punishing Zachariah for not believing the message. 
And while his silence is a consequence, to be sure, it's also a gift. It's also an opportunity for Zachariah to continue in his wondering, to sit without distraction and prayerfully consider with God, what is it that's going on in my life? In a sense, this is Zachariah's moment to slow down the car, so to speak, and see more definition and less of a blur outside of his window. As I considered Zachariah's story this week, I kept thinking about my mother-in-law. She's great. Um, And she's taught me a lot about presence and attention. My husband's side of the family is Spanish-speaking, and so we call her Mamita, which I just assumed meant grandma. Um, A friend actually informed me this week, it does not mean grandma. It means something like cute little mama, which is fun. (laughs) Anyway, our cute little mama is hard of hearing, and one of the ways she compensates for this is by reading lips. It's exceedingly helpful for her if I look at her when I'm speaking to her. And because we have the joy of spending a lot of time with Mamita, one of the things I've noticed is that I'll often be doing several things at once when I'm trying to have a conversation with her. And she's extremely kind and patient, but she'll often just say to me, I'm so sorry, but would you mind looking at me when you speak? It helps me understand. And so I've worked on this. I've worked on giving her my full attention. And what's so interesting is that I feel like my conversations with her have become richer, like layered with a a greater degree of intimacy and connection and love, not only because she can actually understand what I'm saying, but because my heart and my focus and my awareness is tuned into her in a deeper way. See, in a sense, I feel like when the angel tells Zachariah he won't be able to speak, it's God's graceful way of saying, I'm sorry, but I need you to look at me. Not because God can't hear us when we're multitasking, but because our experience, our awareness of God's love is richer when we slow and wonder and pay attention. So the question becomes then, where might God be looking to get your attention this Advent? To invite your holy questions, to grow in your awareness of Jesus's presence in your story. I'm currently reading a real interesting book called uh, The Anatomy of the Soul. It's written by a Christian psychiatrist named Kurt Thompson. And Thompson says the question he encourages his patients to live with, he says the question that will change your life is this, how well am I paying attention to what I am paying attention to? How well am I paying attention to what I am paying attention to? In other words, how present am I to my own life and what's happening right here and right now? to my feelings, to to my reaction to another person in a conversation, to a memory that pops up and hits me unexpectedly, to a snapshot of profound beauty in my day. These are the moments God meets us, friends. A spiritual practice for all of us this week might simply be to pay attention to what we are paying attention to, to pause, notice our experience of a given moment and simply pray, God, in this moment, I'm aware of fill in the blank, I wonder, what could you be speaking to me in this? This is the question that opens our eyes to the incarnation, to to seeing God with us now, not as something that happened, but something that happens. Happens now, happens now, it happens now. That brings us to our third observation in Zachariah's story, which is that he becomes one who sees and perceives. He becomes one who sees and perceives. 
There's a moment in the New Testament in uh, Matthew chapter 13, where the disciples ask Jesus why he keeps speaking to the people in parables. He's always telling stories. And Jesus answers them uh, by quoting the prophet Isaiah, who says, the people will be ever hearing, but never understanding and ever seeing, but never perceiving. See, to see means to observe, to simply take in information. And noticing and observing is an important starting point, but Jesus indicates we're invited to do more than just see. To perceive is to move beyond seeing. The Greek verb indicates a sense of taking what we see and moving that into our experience. It's taking what we see and allowing it to inform how we exist in the world. It implies a sense of real deep integration. Notice Zachariah has this experience with the angel Then he has this time of question and wonder where he is attentive to what God might be doing in the world. And then at the end of the story, the baby John is born, Zechariah can speak again. And it would seem in those moments of silence, Zechariah comes to understand how God is breaking into the world in a way that is profound and even cosmic. He sings this beautiful song, one we'll study in more depth next week. But in this song, he offers a picture of what God has been doing throughout all history up until the birth of this child, John. And he says this, he says, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us. He's speaking about Jesus there. See, there's a significant shift that's taken place in Zechariah. He went from seeing the world based on his own assumptions to perceiving the world through the lens of God at work, God doing this thing for him, motivated by love. And what started out as this strange, but sort of personal prophecy from the angel about a really a family matter has led Zechariah to perceive something deep and wonderful that God is doing, not just in his life, but in the world at large. Notice Zechariah comes out of his silence and he praises God. The text tells us the crowds listening wondered at what he shared. I love it. His wondering led them to wonder. See, Zechariah's adjusted vision moves him closer to God's love and mercy, but it also moves him closer to community. He sees this bigger kingdom picture of reality in which his life is connected to God and which he is connected to neighbor. Once he merely saw, but now he perceives. There's a short but powerful book in the Old Testament coincidentally called Zechariah. Not our Zechariah, but a different one, an older one. And in this book, the older prophet is speaking to God's people in a moment in history when they've returned to Jerusalem after being exiled in Babylon. This isn't a particularly positive moment for them. There's a lot going on. Their their future is uncertain. And as the prophet points people towards God's restoration, he says in chapter four, do not despise the day of the small things. The New Living Translation says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. In other words, pay attention to the small things. Pay attention to the particular because the small things actually become a doorway to the substantial things. I eat a a phenomenal meal and I stop and I pay attention to the way it tastes. I allow myself to wonder at such flavor. I notice an injustice in my neighborhood. I ask questions about it. I prayerfully open myself to where those questions may lead me. I see a pattern in my own behavior that's, you know, causing problems in my family or community. And I pause long enough to be curious about that. To say, God, what are you trying to show me here? Where are you incarnated in this? I sit and I watch the sunset in West Seattle near our home. And I wonder about a God who gives things like color and light. And for goodness sake, the Puget Sound. 
See, these life moments are small, but as we pay attention and wonder, our perceptions, our lens, our story becomes more fully integrated with this big story of God's redemptive work. It starts in the small things. Zachariah's story is about a particular and surprising child they've welcomed into the world, but it's also very much about Jesus and about a God who is always welcoming each of us. This is what Zachariah perceives. There's a great um, Jewish theologian, he's now passed away, but is named Abraham Joshua Heschel. He lived um, a fascinating, also very difficult life. Six weeks before the Nazis invaded Poland, Heschel fled. Um, He eventually relocated in the United States. His three sisters all were murdered in concentration camps, as well as his mom. And then following the war, Heschel lived and taught at a seminary in New York City. He was an insightful writer and poet. He was an active participant in the civil rights movement in the United States. He just lived this wildly impactful life. And towards the end of his life, he suffered a heart attack as he was recovering from that heart attack, a friend of his named Samuel visited him in his apartment and he was still bedridden at the time. Um, But Samuel recalls that the first words out of his mouth when he opened his eyes were this. He said, when I regained consciousness, my first feelings were not of despair or anger. I felt only gratitude to God for my life for every moment I had lived. I was ready to depart. Take me, Lord, I thought. I have seen so many miracles in my lifetime. And Samuel, his friend, was listening to this and kind of stunned at these words. And noticing this, Heschel clarified what he meant by that. And I love this. He did it by quoting some of his own poetry. He said, this is what I meant when I wrote, I did not ask for success. I asked for wonder and you gave it to me. That line still chokes me up a little bit every time I read it. Those words are spoken by a man who was arrested by the Gestapo who witnessed unspeakable evil and heartbreak. And for every moment he had gratitude, not because it was easy or because it's what he would have chosen, not because he would want to live it again, but because he paid attention and he wondered and he learned to see in a new way. Every moment was an opportunity to notice a God who was with him. Friends, this is our invitation from from seeing to perceiving from living in a world locked in assumption to to wondering, to perceiving. I'm doing a new thing, as God says through the prophet Isaiah, do not perceive it. And our seeing, our adjusted vision, it doesn't just begin with us, you know, going out to search for it. This is the crux of Advent. We don't will ourselves to feel some sort of holiday sentiment, but rather noticing Jesus right here, exactly as we are in our human story today. So as we close, the the band's going to come back up, and I'm going to invite us just for a moment together to practice wonder. Um, We'll take a few minutes, and I just ask that you become aware, where are you right now? Ask that holy question. What are the small things you're navigating? What are the fears or hopes that you carried in this moment? My invitation is that you simply name that and then wonder about it with God. Ask God to help you see with greater awareness where Jesus is breaking in. As we spend a few moments wondering in silence, I'll share a piece of artwork from our friend Scott the painter. Um, It's one of his expressions of God entering our human story. And if it's helpful, I'd encourage you just to um, 
enjoy that piece, or you can close your eyes if that's more comfortable. But live with that question for a moment. Where am I today? What is it like to be human today? Wonder with God, where are you? And may that small moment, may this small moment be a new beginning for each of us. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that uh, there is no human experience that you do not understand. You do not, that you have yourself not experienced. That when we name where we are and what we're feeling, that when we choose to pay attention to the reality of our own story, you find us there. You've been there. God, I pray in this moment as we collectively turn our hearts and our minds to you that you would again meet us. And that these moments would string themselves together as we go even from this place today. That we would not see, but we would perceive. Indeed, you are here. Indeed, you are with us. That our feet would stand planted in that firm hope. May it be so. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.